There are certain skills, critical skills, that you need, that we all need, not only to get ahead in our lives, but also to ensure a successful path forward for our children and for the survival of our constitutional republic. You're listening to All About Skills, where we discuss the eight critical skills you need to succeed and how CEOs, placement directors, executive recruiters, and career-minded individuals utilize them to propel themselves to a higher level of understanding and achievement. Get ready to learn, master, and excel with your host, Charlie Jett. Thank you, Anne, and welcome to It's All About Skills. This is a series of programs where we discuss the critical skills and their application in the real world. My name is Charlie Jett, and we're coming to you from our studio in beautiful downtown Chicago. I'm an internationally certified coach, and I specialize in career management, skill development, positive intelligence, and career crises. Well, we have a wonderful dynamic guest today. Christine Davies is the founder and chief executive officer of Collegate, the world's first online marketplace for public policy insights in government affairs and services. Polygauge helps companies and organizations find the expertise they need right when they need it. Now, Christine has had a very impressive career background in corporate, government, and international. She built her 20-year career around the interactions of the public and private sectors with leadership roles in the government, business, technology, and not-for-profit sectors, both in the United States and internationally. She initially served at the office of the U.S. Trade Representative and U.S. Department of State, where she worked on a variety of global economic and developmental issues, and later served as the International Trade Specialist at the American Chamber of Commerce in Thailand. Christine served as a business development manager within the public services, public sector services division at Microsoft. Then she gained more international experience as vice president for partnerships at the Asia Society in New York. And for the past year, she has embarked on building a business called Polygage, the Polygage Network. So welcome, Christine, to It's All About Skills. Thanks, Charlie. It's great to be with you. Well, it's wonderful to have you here. And to, to start us off, Christine, tell us a, a bit about your background, where you grew up, where you went to school, and that sort of thing. So uh, I grew up in Ellicott City, Maryland, a classic suburban American town that's about halfway between Baltimore and Washington, D.C., uh, I'm the product of the fantastic Howard County public school system. And I have to give a shout out to amazing teachers like Mamie Perkins and Rod McCaslin and others who really provided a critical thinking education to us through in-school enrichment sessions uh, and programs like the humanities in high school, which was really unique and combined history and English with music and art. So we could really understand the context and the human experience of the eras we studied. Um, I loved school, but I also loved sports, and I think I tried them all <laughs> by the time I hit high school, uh, but in high school, I concentrated on field hockey. I had the great experience to be co-captain of a state championship team my junior year uh, under the leadership of the epic Howard County field hockey coach, Gail Purcell, 
And all of this was possible uh, because I was fortunate, you know, really to have fantastic parents who encouraged both my academic interests, my athletic interests, uh, my mom more for the academics and my dad more for the athletics, I have to say. Um, they were both very civically aware, engaged people themselves. And when it was time for college, I headed uh, just down the road, like many of my peers, to the University of Maryland in College Park. Uh, our family didn't have a lot of money uh, to go to some out-of-state private college, so I was happy to go to Maryland. I was part of their honors program. I was an officer in my sorority, Sigma Kappa, played some club field hockey, and began to get politically active. It was a great college experience and a good preparation for my work life. Wow, Stan, you, you got an introduction to the critical skills with all those uh, extracurricular activities. Yeah, I don't think they were even called that back then, but uh, you're right, we absolutely, I was so lucky to have that foundation. Fantastic. Now at an early age, you became involved in government. So tell us about that, you know, how it happened, what happened and so forth. You know, I think my interest in government really began because again, my parents, especially my mom, were really patriotic, civically minded. Um, we watched the local and national news every night, sometimes two or three programs, discussed what was going on as a family. And I learned you know, from those sessions as well as some, uh, from some very good teachers about how government can be a force for good for so many people, um, as well as sometimes a problem. And somehow that message was implanted in my mind that you know, the magic of the United States is about our free enterprise system that's afforded by our constitution and our government, um, that we rely on the miracle of the private sector to drive innovation and opportunity, but we also need regulators uh, to keep things in check so the private sector maybe doesn't go overboard. Um, and we certainly need the government for our national defense purposes. And I think that part was fueled by the fact that my dad was a civil servant at the National Security Agency for uh, his career. So I grew up with a great respect and appreciation for the people who make up our government, um, starting with him. And then I ended up putting my kind of time where my mind was and volunteered for some local Howard County, Maryland candidates. Um, I did the grassroots thing, handing out stickers at the county fair and interning in Annapolis. And then, you know, in my formative years, the 1992 presidential election made a big impression. That was a pretty pivotal election going from the Reagan-Bush era to the Clinton era, a real generational shift, um, the impact of Ross Perot and Jim Stockdale and the Fed Up movement. And then during college, I volunteered for the George W. Bush campaign. I was the youth coordinator in Maryland and was named to the National Youth Steering Committee. Um, and then, as you mentioned earlier, was able to get a political appointment at the office of the US Trade Representative, which is known by the acronym USTR, in case I use that later in our conversation. USTR. USTR. And that was an absolute blessing because at the age of just 21, you know, I was exposed to so many economic and development issues facing every industry in every geography, it was the greatest buffet you can imagine for a policy and political junkie. Uh, and my time at the State Department after USTR just enhanced that even further. I got a hint that probably in that role you had a chance to do a little traveling. I did, in fact, I think at that point, by the time I left uh, the State Department in 2006, I had gone, I'd been to over 80 countries, many of them multiple times, just an incredible experience. Wow, and probably some places with uh, a little bit of danger associated with it? 
Yeah, for sure. You don't always just get to go to the, the garden spots. Um, you know, the challenges that our, our senior government officials uh, have to spend time where the greatest challenges are. So um, I ended up in my kind of final years in government. Uh, my boss was very active trying to solve the conflict in Sudan. And so I've been to Darfur uh, more times than I probably can remember. That made a big impression, as you can imagine. Uh, also, a lot of shuttling between the United States and China. Some of those trips were easy. Some of them were not so easy. Uh, and a lot of places in between. Wow. You know, and based on looking back and based on that experience, what would you consider the few important skills that you learned uh, in doing that? Not necessarily just the economic knowledge and stuff, but the kind of skills. Yeah. Well, you know, one thing... And, probably because I was so young in those roles. So maybe, you know, skills for different stages of our careers, the, the, the importance or the allocation of them changes over time. But because I was so young um, and it was pointed out to me all the time that I had so much responsibility in being so young, that honestly being humble and having a really strong work ethic was sort of an important characteristic or skill. I wasn't trying to put on airs, you know, with people who had been actively solving policy issues for 20, 30, 40 years. Um, but I also leaned in uh, and made sure I was really prepared as often as possible to sit at those tables of power and to make contributions whenever appropriate. Um, the policy world can also turn on a dime. So the skills of anticipation, uh, having a good plan B, C, sometimes a D <laughs> as part of that preparation um, was really important and certainly saved my and my boss's bacon on more than one occasion. And that's really something I saw, um, you know, watching the leadership at USTR do such a good job anticipating and executing um, sort of an expect the best, but plan for the worst approach. Uh, and I think that has served me well since I saw that demonstrated and have begun to hopefully continue to emulate it. You bet. And, you know, after that experience came to a close, what did you do then? So I recovered <laughs> um, after six incredible years. It really was an intense, amazing period. Uh, that buffet fed me really well. And uh, I ended up going overseas to the American Chamber of Commerce in Thailand. Uh, I didn't sit back on my laurels completely. Um, I had the ability to work as the trade specialist at the chamber in Bangkok and applied what I had learned in Washington to a more global context advocating for American companies in a region where they saw, you know, tremendous export and sales potential. Um, I had already by that time decided to pursue an MBA as my master's track. I knew, you know, from everything I'd seen, credentials do matter uh, to a large degree. Uh, and so I wanted to, to earn that MBA since I'd really sort of just in practice achieved my master's in public policy from the intensity of the work I'd been able to do and I had considered law, but business just seemed like it would be a nice complement to all of my government and policy experience and help me pivot into the business world, which is really what I saw my next chapter being. So I applied to business school while I was still in Thailand and was fortunate to receive a full scholarship to the Darden School of Business at UVA, uh, Wahoo uh, which really made my decision on uh, where to go easy um, because, you know, it was a wonderful, wonderful gift uh, to have and began my full-time MBA program in the fall of 2007. Well, that's a wonderful school, uh, University of Virginia, the Garden School and so forth. And while you were there, I, I, I seem to recollect from talking to your father at the time, 
that you were involved in some sort of competition and you did quite well. Yeah, you know, I, there were a couple of them. The one that's most memorable was uh, PepsiCo did an annual marketing competition. Um, and uh, that was my second year. I was part of a great team. I think there were four or five of us from Darden. And they put us in the role of trying to solve a brand challenge that they had with one of their snack brands. Uh, and we went down to Wake Forest University and uh, uh, you know, spent two days literally around the clock, little sleep, putting together our pitch to the marketing team at PepsiCo. Uh, Indra Nui, uh, who's one of my very favorite, you know, business executives. I admire her so much. She flew down uh, for the for the finals, or at least she was there for the awards ceremony. She may not have actually heard our pitch now that I think about it, but that was a great boost uh, and sort of, you know, proof that somebody with a policy background, uh, although I do think that the pursuit of public policy has some sales and marketing parallels, which I discovered as I did move into business. Um, I could be part of that team and help achieve success. That was that was a great moment. Yeah, that must have been a wonderful experience. And, and it came it came with a big check. I will tell you too. That was greatly appreciated, even though we had to share it. And you beat out some tough competition. We did. We did. It was great for you. Now, when you left uh, uh, UVA, um, where did what did you do? So I joined Microsoft. Uh, I was really excited to get into the technology industry which even back in 2009, you know, was sizzling with innovation and opportunity. So I joined the services division at Microsoft, um, which was essentially responsible for customer success, even though this was a little earlier than uh, those customer success teams that that title came into vogue. But we were responsible for helping our customers really achieve success with the software products they bought so that they would renew those licenses again and again and again, we hoped. And I was part of an effort to develop solutions for our customers. So essentially to take the technology uh, into translate it into business speak and help our customers understand, you know, what they could do <laughs> with this incredible software. So, you know, workflows like document management and case management and metrics and dashboards, um, you know, things that they could do pretty quickly out of the box and not have to figure them out for themselves. And then interestingly, they could hire our services team <laughs> to come in and configure, <laughs> customize whatever they needed. So, you know, we've heard of uh, the aircraft engine companies don't really make all their money anymore from the aircraft engines, but from the follow on services. And so I think Microsoft and other tech companies were, were realizing that too. Well, one, one of the things that I can tell you as a, as a career coach, I think you were very smart uh, in your first job after the University of Virginia, going to work for a company that did things right. And that's the key thing. You, you take a job that, uh, that really you learn how they do it and, you, and how they do it right. I think you're right. I think there's something to be said for you know, spending at least some time in our careers with golden brands, you know, organizations where we can learn a lot from the, the, the teams, from the leadership. Um, and that's always been kind of a approach that I've taken is um, as I assess, you know, career opportunities, which I've been fortunate to have is, you know, what am I going to learn, you know, from this, uh, from this opportunity, not just what am I going to have the chance to do, but will I learn something from this executive team and from my colleagues and uh, the whole team. So some of the things that you learn aren't necessarily related to the industry you're in. It's That's how, right. how do you behave as a team? How do That's you become right. a member of the team and contribute? That's right. Well, and, and I think, you know, as you know, so well, 
just in terms of skill development, which you pick up at each of these experiences and then take along with you. You know, I would say at Microsoft, I had to master a lot of material very quickly. Um, Microsoft sells a lot of products uh, and also learn to communicate in the language of the customer, not just the Microsoft language. Um, many of our customers, for example, that I was dealing with weren't technical, but a lot of our product descriptions were geared towards the engineering community. And uh, that wouldn't have worked when you're trying to influence buyers and, and customer utilizers uh, who, who aren't technical, but want to, you know, apply the, the software in this case uh, to their, to their uh, daily lives and their, their daily work. Yeah. Now, when you, uh, when you finally left Microsoft, uh, you had a great package. You had a package of government experience, great academic experience at the University of Virginia, and terrific corporate experience at Microsoft. So what did you do then? Well, I, I had a surprise recruitment uh, into an organization called the Asia Society. They had reached out to me. Um, Asia Society is a global nonprofit founded by John D. Rockefeller III. He founded it at the end of World War II, you know, when the United States was in uh, such a, a chaotic period. Uh, and the Asia Society's, the vision was that it would build bridges of understanding between the East and West through initiatives in policy and business and the arts. And uh, I was asked to be the vice president for partnerships and development. So really applying my sales and marketing ex experience from Microsoft and even the sales and marketing elements of what I had done in the government uh, to this nonprofit global context, because even though I was residing in New York, uh, I think I was on a plane 50% of the time going all around the world to Asia Society's global centers, uh, also working with our partners and others. Um, sort of a, a middle ground, if you will, of my time in the public sector early in my career and then my private sector experience. Wow, and then after that experience, well, before we go there, yeah. Uh, what were the, how would you summarize the skills that you, your skill profile in terms of, not, not necessarily industry knowledge, but the, the critical skills that you had earned, learned uh, through all the government and academic and corporate experience? How would you summarize that? Well, you know, I would touch on, uh, again, thinking about this basket. I, I've always thought of skills as kind of a, a good basket or a, a table that you're putting together and making sure that all of your appetites, <laughs> you know, are wedded, that you're able to check boxes. So preparation and anticipation. I think that I learned uh, through my time in government, that's applicable in any role you could imagine as a professional. Um, I would say, you know, when I was in business, um, learning about the value of human engagement and human capital management, um, you know, I know we could go down the rabbit hole on that, but I know that many, every alum, I should say, who came back to Darden and said, if I could do it all over again, I would have taken more human capital classes, more business psychology classes, maybe a fewer, you know, one or two fewer finance and marketing classes, because that's where the challenges are. So, you know, learning the skills um, related to, you know, listening and empathy and, and trying to, to build a team, uh, execution, you know, recognizing that uh, you've got to develop patience and that willingness to both stick with a plan, but being willing to iterate and pivot. I would say that that was a, a skill or an approach that I had picked up, uh, particularly, you know, uh, early in my career, but uh, that also uh, ended up becoming a, a key skill at Microsoft, uh, or excuse me, at the Asia Society, 
because that was a bit of a difficult uh, experience, quite frankly, uh, given the resistance in the organization to change, but uh, the leadership persevered. So perseverance, I think, and resilience as well. Maybe maybe that's what the skills can get you is, is the ability to, to have some level of resiliency um, and, uh, and, and being able to apply that to achieve the results that I was really proud that we had achieved by the time I, I wrapped things up at the Asia Society, launching the Asia Society Policy Institute think tank and new Asia Society centers uh, in different places around the world. So it was an honor to work on that. Wow, and then you had now another great package of skills and experience and maturity and learning resilience and that sort of stuff. And so you then decided to implement your production skill, taking some kind of idea and turning it into reality. And this was Christine's idea and turning it into Christine's reality. So you, you had a desire to, desire to start and build a business. Uh, tell us about that, you know, what you went through in the process and what was your final idea that you had for the new business? Yeah, so it wasn't an overnight decision, I'll tell you that. And I think that's, you know, a theme that you hear a lot with entrepreneurs is the kind of walking around the pool, figuring out when's the right moment to jump in um, and will I be able to swim? <laughs> so I share that because, you know, I've had several business ideas over the years. Um, I've always been interested in eventually doing something on my own. I think, again, it's that combination of a great education that instilled confidence in myself um, over the years and encouragement from my parents and family to think big and, hey, if other people have been able to do it, why not Christine Davies? So, uh, so I felt, I felt uh, like I had the opportunity. And then I really spent some time, and I, by time, I mean probably a couple of years um, reading and studying uh, startups that had succeeded and failed, trying to learn what had gone right or wrong. I was fortunate to talk with a lot of very experienced and successful people uh, on all sides of, of, the, of the startup realm. One of the key things I kept hearing, you know, from those, from those folks over and over was, you know, if I could pick a business that I had some experience with, Mm -hmm. or better yet had some authority in. So it would really be authentic uh, and also give me a leg up in terms of my understanding of the legacy issues of that industry, because no one really should launch a business um, unless they think there's a problem they can solve or they can do something better. I don't care if it's a restaurant or a pet care business or a tech company, you know, you don't just pull cryptocurrency out of the sky and say, I think I'm going to do this because there's a lot of money in it. You know, you'll, you'll spend too much time having to learn and compete against people who have so much more passion and advantage, unless you take the time, you know, to do a really good SWOT analysis and come up with something that uh, is a gap that you think you could address. So for me, my greatest enthusiasm was to address some problems I saw in the way that the public and private sectors interact. And that became the foundation for PolyGage, uh, which by the way, is short for policy and political engagement. I get that question a lot. Huh. And I always joke that while I think the name makes sense, the website, the domain was also available. <laughs> and that sometimes goes into name selection these days. And what I would tell you, Charlie, is that, you know, again, the assessment for me, government activity, you know, at all levels sets and enforces the rules for business. So I always felt it was very important for companies and organizations of all types to have a voice with rule makers, uh, both to create opportunities you know, through things like government funding or stimulating laws and policies that enable job creation and intellectual property development and that sort of thing, 
but they also have to have a voice to sometimes protect themselves from government policies and rules that can create big risks, um, which you know most companies would, would assess is, is the risk material or not. And I saw a McKinsey study, one of those classic McKinsey studies that said um, government activity can pose a risk equivalent to 30 to 50% of a company's bottom line year over year, 30 to 50%. And that, of course, depends on how highly regulated the industry is. But that's that's real business value. That's not a nuisance. Um, and then, meanwhile, you know, it's a challenge for organizations to stay on top of all of these issues, especially if they're involved in several markets. Um, and so, I thought we could do something to address that. We could help pull really great experts through a network that I had developed and friends of mine who ended up becoming advisors, colleagues, you know, gave suggestions. So we pulled this incredible group together uh, and then created the world's, as you said, first online marketplace, you know, to create, to provide access to incredible world-class experts uh, who would be available to executives for very quick turnaround engagements. So a 30 or a 60 minute consultation, get somebody on the phone or on a Zoom these days, pick their brain, assess a risk. Do I need to act on this or not? Being able to get a document or some sort of a project done as quickly as possible without having to go through the rigmarole of hiring someone with a huge retainer, et cetera. Cause it's a very expensive proposition to have that sort of a services approach with all the different things that many companies need. So, you know, we really thought maybe not necessarily about skills, but in some ways it's related capabilities and wanted to provide efficiency and transparency and accessibility in an industry like government affairs that uh, doesn't always have a reputation for being any of those things. Uh, and, and to try and, and bring that opportunity uh, to market to improve the system for everyone. Wow. And so you thought about this for a couple of years and you, uh, well, I should say you should, uh, you should never lack confidence. I mean, you had the background and everything to do this. You came up with this idea and then it came time to actually launch. What was that like? It must have been like a bird getting ready to fly out of the nest and just fly on your own. It's scary, <laughs> to be honest, right? I mean, you're right. I, I appreciate, um, you know, your words about my background being a good fit for what I endeavored to do and 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 am working to do. And I think that's true. Um, but you know, I would say that I've really had to work my muscles uh, in the focus and discipline department. And any entrepreneur has to do that because, you know, you're the one getting yourself out of bed each day to develop your business. Uh, or you can decide how little or hard you want to work. Um, it can be so easy to get distracted. You know, I decided that this, I, I was ready for this to be my focus, to be my 100% focus. It was kind of do it or stop talking about it time. Uh, and so that's what really, you know, uh, uh, spurred my, my decision to get into it. Um, but it was, it was scary. It was exciting all at the same time. It's a real roller coaster of emotions when you finally decide to jump. And as uh, one very wise experienced mentor said, you know, with the right preparation, the net will find you. And uh, so I hope that's the case. I wonder about that every day, but I hope that's the case. Well, personally, I don't think you need a net because I think you're so capable. But one of the things that impressed me 
when you did this is you were doing something that you obviously love to do. And you weren't necessarily good at all those things. And personally, that, as you know, is the ideal place to be because you're motivated, you have anxiety, and you're fired up, and you, you had a fire in your belly, belly, and it sounds like that's exactly where you were. That's right. I think that's exactly right. And I still feel that I am far away from knowing everything that I need to know, um, you know, to, to, to be where I want to be. I'm constantly fighting my impatience. Um, you know, speaking of kind of skills or attitudes, developing more patience. I'm like the song says, I want it all and I want it now. <laughs> that has been a challenge for me. Um, and so, you know, I think really approaching, you know, this with an attitude of you're never going to have perfect information. So many of us face that no matter what type of profession we're in. Uh, and so how do you, you know, really develop the ability to take what you've got decide if you can make the decision or if it's really worth continuing to, you know, pause for now um, and then, you know, figuring out how to move forward uh, as, as makes sense. But, you know, it's that constant balance, I would say, or that conflict between wanting and needing in some ways to move fast, but wanting to do so thoughtfully. Wow. Now you've recently celebrated your first anniversary as a business and there've been some Great things that have happened. There have been some bumps in the road and that sort of stuff. But what are the most important things that you learned during that first year of the business being? Uh, it, tell me about what, what did you learn? Yeah. Well, first of all, you're spot on. Um, entrepreneurship is totally a game of shoots and ladders. <laughs> I'm constantly <laughs> comparing it to that. Um, you know, I think what I've learned is a combination that. I feel confident that I made the right move. My, my passion for launching PolyGage hasn't waned. And quite frankly, sometimes entrepreneurs do lose their fire um, from what I've heard and what I've seen. Um, and that being a solopreneur, as I really am, is tough. Um, you have to be your own cheerleader and critic. You've got to drive yourself to focus every day on activities that will help you achieve results. You've got to be comfortable with iteration. And I think that last point is really key. No one sticks with everything that they tried on day one, you know, including me, as I reflect back on this first year, you know, I learned how right I was on some things and how wrong I was on others. And that's okay. That's completely normal. Um, you know, and you learn both from your market, your stakeholders, you have to make these pivots. I do think that some leaders are unfortunately too stubborn or too proud to make pivots. Then you've got others who overreact with every piece of feedback they get, which by the way, you know, one person's opinion may not be a market <laughs> indicator. Um, so trying to really, again, get that balance right of, of how to sift through information. What a, I mean, talk about critical skills, how to, you know, separate the real from the noise and then take appropriate action. And I guess coming full circle, what I learned was that the preparation that I've really had over these chapters of my career, you know, from that time in government and the private sector, and even in uh, uh, more of the, the nonprofit realm, have really, you know, prepared my muscles for these new challenges. Wow. And I think one of the things that you learned too, it sounds to me like, is you learned toughness. You learned how to be tough. I, I think that's true. You, you know, whether that's not necessarily a fist physicality, but certainly, uh, <laughs> certainly a mental toughness. And, and you do, you also have to have a thicker skin because not everybody is going to think that your baby, your startup 
is the most beautiful baby ever, uh, even though you can't find anything wrong with it at times. Uh, and, and that's okay. You know, you actually learn to welcome that feedback and that criticism because sometimes it can really save you a lot of pain uh, down the line. You know, I'll tell you, uh, I just thought of this. Uh, you started this thing at a very interesting time in, the, uh, in, in this country in that you started it during the COVID uh, uh, pandemic. And my initial thought would be that would have been kind of a plus for you. What was, what, give me your reaction on what, was, what COVID was like for your startup? Well, it's been a mixed bag, but let's let's call it uh, a blessing in I think the long term, <laughs> which is that you know first of all uh, a shout out to all of my fellow entrepreneurs who kept moving forward with their business uh, ideas and their plans last year. You know, talk about facing an environment of unpredictability. So that was the first thing. You know, I even weighed should we push the pause button on this? But I think to your point, because our experts network and our clients connect virtually, uh, at least in all cases to date. Maybe that will change now that we're doing some in-person interaction, but that was always the dream, right? Or the vision was the efficiency of the virtual connection. Now that executives are so much more comfortable um, you know, with virtual interactions, I think the fact that we're set up to facilitate that uh, is going to be a big plus. You know, you don't just have to get on a plane to present to a board or to a C-suite uh, or to provide coaching to an executive. Um, I also think it's it's interesting, and there's been so much written, you know, really about talent fluidity uh, over the last year in particular. You know, not just about hybrid approaches to where we work, but a realization that you know so many executives now see the value of complementing their in-house resources, their full-time employees who are committed, who know what's behind, you know, under the hood of the business, but making sure that they have access to experts right when they need them uh, so that they, their enterprise can always stay on top or hopefully ahead of things that may happen. And in our case, you know, we want our clients to be uh, ahead of the curve in terms of what's happening from a government activity perspective and to influence that or to be able to at least respond quickly to it. Uh, and so I think that again, you know, the fact that we've created a world-class network that's accessible to our clients to kind of plug and play as they need to on hundreds of topics, um, you know, across geopolitical, US federal, US state and local, and even in the public affairs skill set. Um, I think that in the long term, you know, the transitions all of us have had to made, make in terms of the way that we work uh, will be a positive for PolyGage. Fantastic. Now I'm going to throw a challenge to you, okay? And I think you'll love this. Let's just assume that you uh, are at the high school graduation of Ellicott City, of the high school you went to, and, and you've been giving a little talk about, you know, the graduation uh, address and and you're getting ready to sum it all up and give some advice to 30 or 40 young Christines out there. I mean, we'll just, we'll just focus on the Christines out there. So what are you gonna tell them? Okay, when you're graduating from high school, what's the challenge for them? What do you have to offer them as the golden nuggets of uh, your advice at this point? Oh, I love, I love thinking about that. I feel like 
first of all, they couldn't get me off the stage. I would have so many nuggets I would want to impart, but for the sake of being succinct. So you're limited to four or five. <laughs> that's right. Uh, and by the way, go Eagles, Centennial High School Eagles. Um, you know, I think I would offer maybe two, two perspectives. The first would be, this is your moment, don't be afraid. You know, the classic, I think, uh, probably cliche, the world is your oyster. Um, is still very true. You know, there are some systems or, you know, kind of frameworks we have in society where people think there's a specific path they have to walk. And that's not always the case. So being open to opportunities, being open to big dreams, but then also realizing that there's a process, you know, you may not be hired as the CEO of the company that, you know, the company of your dreams right out of college. <laughs> you, you have to put in the time to learn. And so as much as I would encourage uh, that graduating class to dream big and to think big uh, and to be ambitious uh, is to think about the course and the pathway uh, and the patience that they're gonna need, the, the really, you know, I think coming full circle, the skills that they're gonna need if they think about what it's gonna feel like to sit in that big chair, which by the way, may not be in business, of course, it may be as a military leader or a, you know, fantastic mom or dad or whatever the, the, the case may be for that person's uh, dreams, uh, you know, just what are the skills that are going to help you feel confident and effective uh, and start thinking about that early because, you know, again, I'm not a big fan of five-year plans per se, because I think you have to be adaptable to op opportunities, unexpected opportunities that come your way. But I do think that uh, having some self-awareness uh, and clarity on, you know, what I'm going to want to have in my toolkit uh, is something that they can start thinking about the minute they walk out of that high school auditorium. Once I once again tell them, go Eagles and have a wonderful life. <laughs> There's one other thing that I think you probably tell them too, because you're a great example of it. Is you can do anything you set your mind to do, and don't you forget. I think that's right. I think that's 100% right. No matter your background, uh, you know, there are so many tools and so many uh, avenues for mentorship and for sponsorship out there. And maybe it does come back to something you said earlier, which is, you know, don't just choose an organization, um, you know, based on, you know, the salary and based on the benefits and the geographical location. But what are you going to learn? You know, what are the skills you're going to be able to acquire there? Uh, the, the leadership you're going to learn from, uh, because all of that will really help you, you know, achieve whatever it is that you're looking to achieve, even if you don't have it on day one. <laughs> uh, last question for you. Looking ahead a little bit, and just, we're not going to hold you anything, anything, uh, we're not going to hold you to anything, but what's your ultimate dream for PolyGage? You know, I hope PolyGage will grow the government affairs industry, uh, because we're providing an on-ramp for engagement in this sector to hundreds of companies and organizations that haven't been able to participate, uh, whether it be due to familiarity or awareness or cost. Um, we want them to be able to discover great experts and uh, immediately develop overnight, you know, their own private network essentially of insights and advice. And I think the flexibility of our business model that allows our clients to just pay strategically uh, for, for what they're consuming helps with that. And then, you know, quite frankly, I'm ambitious enough. I hope we become the go-to platform for any organization that 
wants to explore great options for getting the best policy or government affairs specialist at the time that he or she is needed. Uh, and I think that truly that is in line with this growing desire of executives who want more talent fluidity in their organizations. Um, you know, so many online marketplaces are popping up in the professional services realm, legal, marketing and advertising, even healthcare, so that companies and organizations can take advantage of external talent to complement their internal talent. So I hope that we're seen as part of that movement, an effective part of that movement, uh, and again, a real leader in the government and public affairs space. Well, I think you get, you'll get there, Christine. And, you know, personally, I think you, you are a model of success. Well, thanks, Charlie. I appreciate that. It doesn't feel like that every day, I'll tell you. I, I face my challenges like everyone, but um, oh, I'm grateful to be here. I hope you never get really, really comfortable in what you're doing, and you're always over on that side of the of the of the curve where where you're you love what you're doing, and you're not sure you know everything you need to know to do it. If you stay there, you're going to always be a success. Now, I think uh, personally, I think you'd be an ideal high school graduation speaker. So you know, I'm going to rustle the bushes and make suggestions and things like that. <laughs> I think you really got a message. But well, thank you. Maybe we'll create a high school graduation speakers marketplace too. How about that? No, hey. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so tell us how, uh, if someone wants to either utilize the service of Polygage or get in touch with you or find out more about Polygage, what do they do? Where do they go? Yeah, it's really simple. Just go to www.polygage, P O L I G A G E.com. And uh, quite frankly, poke around the site, but you'll also see a little helpful pop-up concierge bot uh, as soon as you hit the site. Type in a message, uh, let me know what it is that uh, my team and I can help you with, what you're looking for, and we will be in touch uh, pretty quickly so that we can help you achieve whatever uh, government affairs, public affairs goals uh, you may have in mind, or just to say hi, welcome that too. Oh, well, Christine, thank you so much. I'm, I'm just proud as, as proud as everything to, to have you as a guest today. Uh, on it's all about skills. And I wish you, you and your teammates, uh, all the best of luck in making Polygage successful. Now, as for myself, I'm an internationally certified coach and I specialize in career management, skill development, career crises, and positive intelligence. And you can get in touch with me through my website, charliejeffcoaching.com. So I wanna thank all of you for listening today and we'll see you next time as we discuss the critical skills on It's All About Skills. Thank you for listening to this episode of All About Skills. To learn more information about the critical skills, be sure to visit itsallaboutskills.com for access to resources like blogs, field studies, published books, and more about how to learn, how to use, and how to teach this important content. That's exclusively available on itsallaboutskills.com. We look forward to having you join us on the next episode so we can continue to help you learn, master, and excel by using critical skills right here on All About Skills.